The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. The Word of the Lord. Good morning, City Church. It is wonderful to worship with you all this morning, all the way from the occupied territory of the Nacotchtank people, otherwise known as Washington, D.C. Now, before I begin, I just wanted to guide us through a guided meditation for a few minutes. So wherever you are right now, just uh, find a comfortable seat, close your eyes, and take a deep breath. Now imagine yourself at this scene we just read. Imagine you have come to attend a festival and you can see lots of people all around you. What does everyone look like around you? What is everyone wearing? Are they wearing similar attire? Are some of them dressed to celebrate and others not so much? Now look around and listen to the chatter. What do you hear? Whose voices are loudest? Can you understand what people are saying? How do they sound? Does their accent sound different to yours? Are they speaking in slang or more formally? Suddenly you feel a strong gust of wind and a loud chorus of voices shouting out. You recognize the sound coming from the home of the Galileans, and you walk forward to investigate. You recognize that one of them sounds just like someone from your hometown. You even hear him use words that are particular to your town. How does that make you feel? You notice that he's the only one you understand. How do the others sound? Look around you. Does anyone recognize what the others are saying? How do you know? Can you tell from people's faces? What is their reaction? 
As you process what you're seeing, take a moment to check in with your body. How are you feeling witnessing everything going on around you? Are you excited, confused, scared? Are you surprised, suspicious, or skeptical? Take another deep breath. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Every time I've read this story in Acts 2 of the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples, causing them to start praising God in different languages, I'd always imagined that the sound of all these different languages and dialects would have me feeling overwhelmed with wonder. I imagine feeling the Holy Spirit move through me in the same way I feel moved when listening to an orchestra play a beautiful symphony. I imagine hearing each language in the same way you could distinctly hear each section of the orchestra. The brass instruments, the percussions, the wind instruments. The beauty of the music comes from everyone knowing their part and everyone listening to one another for their cues, as well as following the conductor for when the music would build up for a crescendo and then simmer down to a decrescendo. The power and impact of that musical composition wouldn't come through if it weren't for everyone doing their part. Because if you take out one set of instruments, then you might recognize the melody, but the piece just wouldn't move your body in the same way. This is how I understood what the necessity was for the Holy Spirit to speak through the disciples in every language and dialect for everyone to hear and understand the magnitude of God's good deeds spoken to them wherever they were from. By hearing about God's magnificent works in their language, they could envision the magnitude of God's love for all people, even in their diversity. The scripture tells us that those witnessing were puzzled when they heard this. They couldn't understand how it was possible that this group of men from Galilee could speak the languages and dialects of people from faraway nations. You see, as it was, Galileans spoke a different dialect that was distinct from the dialect that was spoken by Jews in Jerusalem. Galileans, just like all the other diasporic Jews, stuck out because they all spoke in different dialects and languages. I imagine that because of this, a linguistic hierarchy might have formed because of the variations and accents of their mother tongue. Now, this isn't too far-fetched because we see the same thing here in the United States. From the East Coast to the West Coast, the South and Midwest, we all speak distinctly and have our own variations of English. We all have an accent and it gives an indication of where we're from or where we grew up. But unfortunately, because of that, a linguistic hierarchy starts to form. The linguistic hierarchy here in the United States 
in the United States would likely place the kind of American English that we hear spoken in the on the news by major news networks or by politicians in big cities as the most superior form of American English. So it isn't hard to imagine this kind of hierarchy was also present in the in the Jewish diaspora, where seemingly the most pure and superior dialect spoken was that which was spoken in Jerusalem, the holy city. And any derivative or variation to that, any specific vernacular or accent formed was inferior. For dominant groups who spoke a pure form of a language, these variations were indicative of the degrees of separation diaspora people had from the superior and pure expression of their origins. I imagine that's how diaspora people were viewed when they returned to Jerusalem for their religious festivals. I imagine that by their dress, their accents, their vernacular, their dialects, that it was clear how far they were from their, their identity as people of God and how much influence the Gentile nations had on them. I imagine in the same way that it was easy to tell who were the new converts to their faith, who were called proselytes in the passage that we read. And so there was this hierarchy in the way that everyone viewed one another with those who spoke the holy language more eloquently at the top and those whose communication was riddled with Gentile influence at the bottom. So when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, the question of how could it be possible for them to speak several languages and be understood, that question has multiple layers. To the people that are witnessing this event in real time, the question was, how could these Galileans who have lived outside the holy city, how is it that some of them spoke a more pure and superior form of our holy language? How, how did they get the ability to speak that way? To the people that our author Luke was writing to, the newly converted Christians, the question might have been, how is it that the disciples of our Messiah could speak about God using Gentile languages that were inferior. What does that mean for the disciples of our Messiah to have been overcome by the Holy Spirit and start speaking all the variations of tongues and languages and dialects and accents, declaring God's good works? One of the questions, some of the questions that we might raise today is, why, why didn't the Galileans just use their own holy language to talk about God's greatness? Or why didn't they speak in the language that they at least understood? What did it mean for each of those witnessing this event to understand what, these, what the disciples were saying down to using their own vernacular from their specific region? What was the, what was the significance of that? It meant that the Holy Spirit wanted to acknowledge everyone, from the early converts to the most religious and the, the most devoted. The Holy Spirit wasn't playing favorites, speaking only to the most holy or excluding the newly converted. Her desire was to speak to everyone 
and she was using Jesus's disciples as her mouthpiece so that she could also be heard by everyone, whether they were from the holy city of Jerusalem or were Jews from Libya or Jews from Egypt or a, or a Greek speaking Gentile convert. This was a big deal because this act by the Holy Spirit challenged the idea that holiness was determined by proximity to a more pure and dominant expression of faith. It challenged the idea that God could only speak to or be heard by the most devout teachers and religious leaders who spoke the purest form of their language. It challenged the idea that everyone needed to be fluent in a universal language and conform to one culture to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Instead, this event showed that the Holy Spirit spoke every person's language and dialect using their accent, knowing that each tongue held a story that was unique to their diasporic group. And this is what I love about this story. This event showed that even the Holy Spirit could speak and understand the language of the disciples' dual identity as both Jews and Galileans, or understand the dual identity of Jews who are also from Libya or also from Egypt. And the good news in this story isn't just that our God embraces the diversity of humanity by speaking all our languages, but that God is also fully aware of our complex identities. And now this is often experienced by people who straddle hyphenated identities, by Asian Americans, Native Americans, African Americans, Latinx Americans. They all wrestle with what it means to truly belong in this nation. But even within these groups, there's even more tension in wrestling with our multiple identities when we are also queer, disabled, and or neurodiverse. And the good news we see in this story is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a divine act of honoring the embodiment of multiple identities. The Holy Spirit doesn't ask you to choose a dominant identity to speak and be understood by God. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you choose between black and queer or Asian and disabled or neurodiverse and Latinx. The Holy Spirit understands you fluently and empowers you to speak and express yourself freely in the totality and diversity of your embodied identity. God God understood how deeply tied to our identity our language is and sought to preserve that in honoring our differences. And this is significant because our language tells our story. It tells you how we view one another, which cultures have influenced us and in what ways. For example, as some of you might know, my mother is from the Philippines. And so in the Philippines, there are lots of different dialects that are spoken. They're all part of the Austronesian family of languages. So when we count, we count in Tagalog. We say, Isa, Dalawa, Tatlo, Apat, Lima. 
And we can hear that there are similarities in how we say our numbers with the Samoan people, uh, with the language Bahasa Malay. But when we tell the time, we tell the time in Spanish. We say a la una, a las dos, a las tres, a las cuatro, a las cinco, and so on. Um, and that's indicative of how the construction of time was introduced to us, introduced to the Philippines by the Spanish. And even in, uh, in Korean, there are very specific use. Uh, there are very specific words that are used to address the maternal side of your family and the paternal side that address the order of birth as the oldest or the youngest because family order is really is deeply valued in the Korean culture. Now, many minoritized communities here in the United States code switch by using different words that are only understood by their community in some settings. There are words and phrases that are only understood by their community indicating a sense of belonging to one another. And these distinctions is how we relate to one another in this, and are in the stories told by our language and our speech. All of those stories are stripped away when we insist on a universal language. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit came as a new way of seeing one another where we could acknowledge one another's identity, one another's stories, one another's history in our spoken word. In this way, we could appreciate the diversity of one another and equality of all voices from all nations. The Holy Spirit fell on them, much like the Holy Spirit hovered over the vast nothingness in Genesis. The Holy Spirit drifted over the emptiness in Genesis. The Holy Spirit wandered over the lifeless plain at the start of the creation of the universe. Except here, the energy here on this day of, of Pentecost is completely different. The Holy Spirit doesn't hover. The passage says that the, the Spirit came down like a strong wind and her energy here is fierce. Her energy here is an inescapable force showing how serious God is about preserving the diversity of God's creation in this new age. This is how forceful God's hand is on this new order that is to birth. The strong gust of wind that is the Holy Spirit violently opposes cultural imperialism and the pressure to conform to one dominant Christian identity. It defies the Christian nationalism that we see here in the US. It pushes up against the status quo and instead gives power and energy to those whose voices have been diminished, demanding that those voices be heard. Those whose voices who have been made invisible those whose voices have been disregard, disregarded, whose voices have been ignored. God in the Holy Spirit speaks using those very voices, their languages, dialects, and speech to command our attention. 
And I love the way the theologian and scholar, Dr. Willie James Jennings puts it. He says, God speaks people fluently. God speaks in all the various ways that we speak. God understands in all the various ways we speak. God doesn't force uniformity by insisting we can only speak to God one way, but instead a unity that celebrates the diversity of all of creation, where everybody's voice is lifted up and honored. And now I know that it's hard to comprehend unity in diversity. I mean, how do we unify if we all speak different languages? How do we understand each other in a way that God models fluency? Understanding involves listening. This event called attention to the need to listen clearly to the other instruments in the orchestra. It is our part, it is a part of our commissioning to truly listen to one another and listen to the ways in which we are distinct. Listen when we say that our experiences differ. Listen when we say we fear for our black and brown children, partners, siblings, and parents. Because whether we're 13 years old or a teenage girl in foster care or a military officer dressed in fatigues, it doesn't matter. We are always seen as a threat. Listen when we say we are lamenting and hurting over seeing yet another elderly Asian being attacked on the streets because we see our own grandmother. Listen when we say that a mass shooting at a facility where 90% of their employees are Sikh and South Asian, that it's obviously a targeted hate crime. Listen when we do not want to be displaced and when we are defending our right to live on our land, on territories, on, in neighborhoods where we have lived for, for years, where our ancestors have lived for centuries. Listen when we fight for our right to keep living there. Listen when we say that we fear that we may have nowhere else to go. It is part of our commissioning to listen when people say that they're anxious, that they're depressed, or when they're worried sick. Listen when our children say that they're overwhelmed and when mothers say that they're weary. Listen when our elderly say that they feel forgotten and when trans folks say they feel rejected. But don't just listen to our pain. It is also part of our commissioning too, to listen when we're celebrating who we are and freely expressing who we are through literature, music, art, fashion, and film. Listen and value our unique expressions as equal by paying attention to when the conductor cues us to pause and put down our instrument and listen to the other musicians playing. It is also part of our commissioning as believers to speak boldly, to boldly share our story, to boldly speak up about loving our neighbor, to boldly encourage resistance 
to the status quo, to boldly speak out against injustice, to boldly speak love and compassion to the rejected. In this way, we are paying attention to the conductor for our cues so that together with the other musicians, we boldly participate in the rising crescendo of the symphony, preserving our differences and yet uniting in playing one divine symphony. On that day, when the disciples were speaking of God's good works boldly, some of the crowd ridiculed them, saying that they were drunk on new wine. And it's funny because there is some truth to their mockery. They were filled with new wine. The new wine, which is the new covenant, Jesus came to show the people the good news that God's grace extended to everyone, that God affirms everyone, all the people, all the nations, all genders, ages, and races. We're all children of God. So before I end this morning, I want to ask us all, what is the new wine that God wants us to drink from? Is it that we are being called to listen? Whose voices then are we called to listen to? Who is it that we need to hear God's good news from, God's good works from? Whose stories and history do we need to put our instruments down for and pause and draw our attention to? Or, is God calling on us to reclaim our voice? Calling on us to reclaim our stories and our history? Is God calling us into reclaiming the multiplicity of our identity and speak the good news of our inclusion as God's children? Is God calling us into embracing or rediscovering the unique sound of our instrument and play our part in this grand symphony. This symphony was a glimpse of God's new wine, which is God's promise of a new kingdom coming to fruition. In that kingdom, everyone was invited. Everyone could be seen and heard. For us to realize the full impact of this divine composition written by our creator, we must all participate in the way that we are called to do because everyone is essential to the formation of God's kingdom. Everyone is essential in this composition, this composition of this divine symphony. Let us pray. Dear God, we admit that in many ways we haven't been as open as we could be to the baptism of your Holy Spirit. By speaking God boldly, by listening God to the voices of others. So God, I ask you to stir in us what it is that is our calling God to call us into whether we are supposed to listen and who it is we are supposed to listen to. 
reveal to us, God, what it is about our stories, our language, that you are calling us to embrace and speak boldly into. May we all be open to the way the Holy Spirit baptizes us with fire today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for having me once again, City Church.